Well, good morning and welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ Christmas service. Whoa, it moved. Uh, I'm going to just be a few minutes up here for a sort of half sermon, half communion. And uh, we'll take communion afterwards. Then the kids are going to come up and we're going to have our Christmas pageant, which is uh, which which I think is why many of us have come today. So uh, we'll get right to it. Sort of like uh, the sermonette at a wedding. And most people are just thinking, just finish up, man. Just finish up. We're here for the wedding. We're here for the pageant. But um, Luke chapter two is where we'll be. And perhaps we would learn a thing or two this morning about the occasion of Christmas. Uh, We've talked a lot about it recently. It's the uh, only major Christian holiday that is also a major secular holiday. Um, And uh, as such, it then is very confusing as to what the purpose really is. Uh, What is the true purpose of Christmas and uh, why do we do it? Uh, It literally means Christ's mass or Christ Christmas service. A mass is a a word for a church service. Um, And so Christ's mass is really what we're here to celebrate and over the next few weeks, uh, what we're really here to take a good hard look at. And Stephen's actually set up, set the stage quite well, not just last time, but also today with looking at the, the men there who go to visit King Herod and they ask a certain question. They walk into King Herod and they say, King Herod, uh, where is the king? And uh, like any good king would, would feel, he, feel, he feels a little offended. So I thought I was the king, you know, to whom... Uh, do you speak or about whom do you speak? And uh, that, that's really what's going on inside of all of us, which is when we come to encounter Jesus, uh, you know, the Bible, we read the Bible and the Bible kind of says, hey, do you know about this king? And we go, uh, I thought I thought I was a king. Wow. I thought I was in charge. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then Herod, remember, he goes, I'm going to check him out. I'm going to go see him. But really, he had pretty nefarious intentions. And in the same way, really any struggle to know or to become a Christian begins with the struggle to identify the real king. Uh, and it's a, it's a battle between us, us and, and Jesus. And it doesn't end when we make the commitment to become a Christian. It continues because the king doesn't like to stay locked in the trunk. He likes to get back out and try to put his hand back on the wheel. And so this is Jesus as he approaches the scene in the most humble way imaginable. He approaches, he comes to a family where, for all intents and purposes, he'll be viewed as born out of wedlock. There's a word for that, not a nice one. Uh, Jesus comes into that situation uh, to uh, a rural family, uh, to, in a place where no one would ever imagine um, that someone would come. And he is laid because there's nowhere to put him, not just in a place where there's a Not no room, but also in a place with no room in the feeding trough of the farm animals, of the donkeys and and the mules and such. And so in a time where we can be so obsessed with image and so obsessed with appearing awesome and attractive and and appearing like we have it all together, Jesus came with with none of that. No concern about appearance. Yet we have to be really aware and careful that we don't get sucked into perhaps what is nothing like the Christmas spirit, which it becomes when once Jesus came in a, such a selfless way, it's a, it's a holiday that's become one of the most selfish yeah. of the year. And uh, one of the things that, about Christmas is, uh, 
is this idea of peace. In Luke 2.14, this is what, exactly what, what is said by the angels. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace is a big uh, a theme of the holidays. But what is peace and how do we get peace? What, what, what is the whole point of peace? Is this peace? Um, this is how we can kind of view Christmas sometimes. This is, the, this is a very American Christmas. I don't think there are dairy cows in the Middle East. Um, uh, especially with bells, but that's okay. Um, but this, this can kind of be how we, how we view it. Um, and we actually can begin to think it's just mythology. It's like any other myth. Sure, we'll take some good notes from it, but it's not historically real. Uh, it's not, it didn't really happen because we've, myth, you know, we've, we've made it into a myth. We've made it into this kind of this fake thing. But I don't have a lot of time this morning, but I, the one thing I want to talk about is this idea of peace. And what is peace and, and how do we obtain peace and what is the point of peace? Is peace uh, uh, prosperity? Is peace uh, just a trouble-free life? What is this idea of peace that, that, that is promised to those on whom his favor rests? And here in Luke 2, uh, beginning in 25, a man named Simeon gets to see Jesus. And he's an old man. He's very grateful that he has an opportunity to meet the Messiah before he dies. And he says something really well known in verse 29. Um, He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at at what was said about him. But this next verse is not one we'd think of a lot about Christmas. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, The child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. So peace on earth, but your heart's going to be pierced by a sword. Uh, Well, hold on. I I thought you said peace. What's up with the sword stuff? Which is it? Peace or sword? He even says, Jesus is coming and bringing peace, but it's going to cause the rising and falling of many. And we're going to actually get to know a lot of people's hearts, the thoughts of their hearts. In a world where uh, our outward, outward uh, adornment and, uh, is something that we get to know, but usually we don't get to know somebody's heart. And then we don't really foster opportunity to get to know somebody's heart. We get really good at not talking about our hearts. Really good at not identifying what's in our hearts, especially men. We're trained from a young age to toughen up and not show emotion and don't cry, young man. And don't show that. Don't talk about that. And, right? We're not, we're not in a place where we can even talk about it. We have no idea who we are. No idea the truth about us because we simply just focus on the outside. Um, the title of my lesson is A Sword in the Soul. Luke 2, 25 through 35. And we just read it. The child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. You know? When Jesus comes to earth, what's being said about him is very important, is that he's coming. He's not going to bring trouble-free prosperity for everybody. He's coming, actually, to bring conflict. That Jesus will, in fact, bring polarization. Prosper- peace in the Bible is actually um, is not the absence of um, pain, but peace in the Bible actually is a, a ceasing of warfare. Uh, it's a ceasing of hate. In fact, we're going to close the service today with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And there's a line in the song that actually indicates this very well. 
Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Well, what is peace actually supposed to do? It says God and sinners reconciled. So the point of peace is actually to, to end the warfare between you and God. To end the hate between the two kings. The two rulers. The two, to, end, to end the conflict. To actually reconcile us and God. To end the warfare. End the fighting. Stop fighting God. That's why Jesus came. It's not just, oh, but hold on, I started following God and all this hard stuff keeps happening. Satan's still attacking me. Well, Jesus never said that was going to cease. Never said it was going to stop. Why do we think that? Right? The rain falls on the wicked and the righteous. There's there's, there's wicked out there. There's wicked in here. But here's the thing. We have Jesus whose whose hope is to bring us to be back into the the, the arms of our Lord. To be back with God. And I'd I'd rather, if I'm going to suffer, I'd rather have God with me. It's just personal preference, I suppose. And so... We've got to be aware that there's, we can't be surprised. A lot of times we struggle the most when we're surprised. I didn't know it would be this hard. I didn't know that would happen. I didn't expect it to be this difficult. But listen, that's okay. We've got to expect conflict. You know, Jesus says the sword's coming. Anybody who goes to the doctor and is diagnosed with something horrible, a disease of some kind, knows one truth. If it's going to get better, it's got to get worse before it gets better. There will, there's a treatment, but it's painful. There's chemotherapy, but here are the, here's what's going to happen. You could be saved in the long run, but in the short term, this is what could happen. There's going to be pain in the moment. The treatment is painful, but you could find peace later. And anybody who goes to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist is forced to start talking about some things they don't want to talk about. I don't want to talk about that. But here's the thing. If you're going to be healed, we got to go there. It's going to get worse before it gets better. We accept it. We go, that's, that's real. That's true. Well, that's the same spiritually. It's the same spiritually. Peace can be had by all of you this morning, by all of us. But a lot of us, we, we're too nervous to let go of the reins. We don't trust. We don't trust that ah, if I let go of control, will I still be at peace? We think that us being the king, we think that we'll still have peace. You know, I remember my first year at Kansas State University, I was in a fraternity and this guy came to my room. Uh, guys were fascinated by me. I was, I was unique. I, went, I joined a fraternity but didn't drink and didn't party. It was very strange. And they came to my room and they would ask me lots of questions. They were, I, was, I, was like, I was like a zoo animal. They would kind of poke their head in. <laughs> why? Let's see, why is he, what's wrong with him? And this guy came into my room and asked me, he goes, why don't you, um, why, why don't you just date whoever you want? You know, why, why do you only date Christians? And I said, well, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 6 that, that gives a principle for that. And he says, well, why don't you drink excessively? Why? I was underage, so why don't you, why don't you drink at all? And I said, well, I'm waiting until I'm 21 to, because here's some scriptures, Ephesians 5, Galatians 5. And I even had a roommate who put up posters on the wall of these uh, nude women, and I'd covered them with scriptures. Um, and and, my, and my, my, my friend said, why do you do that? Why not just... I said, well, well the scriptures are written up there. I put it up there. And... And he, he just, you could see him getting angry. And he goes, don't, aren't you ever just so, so like, frustrated with not being in control of your own life? You're not, making, you're not making any of your own decisions. And I thought, here's somebody who still thinks that he's free. But he's still enslaved. He thinks, he, he thinks he's in control. It's the greatest lie our world tells us. None of us are in control. We're all victims of our culture. 
we think we believe something because it's just us. Your culture, your parents, your surroundings have influenced you heavily. There's no independence there. But I remember, I I told him, I said, man, I am totally okay with God being in control. In fact, I'd rather have it be that way than than me being in control. And he was just like, dude, you're you're crazy, man. And he, you know, he, he, he left the room and yeah, that was kind of a funny, funny memory, but I think it really indicates, it indicates what the struggle is, is us letting go of the kingship and us letting go of being in control. It's the single most important thing. Because when someone becomes a Christian, is it like, does the sin go away completely? No, I mean, they still struggle. Are they perfect? No, there's still pretty much got issues. Um, you know, like, are they all of a sudden this or that? They still, they're still flesh there. That's, that's, that's difficult. But the big thing is that, no, they've made a decision and they become aware that they need help. They've made a decision. I'm not going to be in charge anymore. I'm going to let Jesus, I'm going to let Jesus run this show. And so when we start talking about a sword in the soul, it's difficult. You know, many Christians are just, they, they, they're like middle-class Christians in terms of, not, not you know, middle-class, like in terms of how much money they make, but like, they're not like, oh, I'm not struggling, but I'm also not really like intense Christian. I'm like in the middle Christian. And J.C. Ryle talks about this idea. He says, the child of God has two great marks about him. He may be known by his inward warfare as well as by his inward peace. Sometimes we think a Christian doesn't struggle, but actually he says, no, it's, it's actually really important. When, he, when Jesus says a sword will pierce your soul, there'll be conflict. We're going to face conflict from like others or, and anybody who tries to live a Christian life in this day and age will we'll see difference and we'll see conflict from other people. They'll malign you. They'll make fun of you. They'll talk about you behind your back. They'll just trying to be a decent person in your workplace. You'll stand out enough just trying to do that. Just trying to have integrity about your taxes will actually cause you to stand out a bit at your workplace. And so he says, no, 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 but a Christian's going to have an outside, but also a Christian will have inward conflict. There's a conflict in it. They're fighting. You know, a, a friend growing up, they used to say, you know, you can, ha- you can tell how a salmon is alive. If it swims upstream, it's fighting. It's going faster downstream, but it's dead. It's just because you're going faster and move doesn't mean you, fighting means you're alive. Struggle, conflict. And we can think, oh, it's hard, it's difficult. But it's actually more of an indication that you're alive. It's like antibodies. Your antibodies, you're fighting the, the sickness. And so conflict, warfare, it's very, very, very important. We can't get sucked into, why am I struggling? We've got to expect conflict. Even, even Simeon tells Mary, a sword's going to pierce your soul too. Even Mary, as incredible as she was and humble as she was. Remember in, we remember in Mark 2 when she says that her son was out of his mind. Wait, I thought she was told by the angels that her son would be Messiah. I thought they were very clear on that. But even Mary was still struggling to let Jesus be her king. And she's his mother. Letting her baby, her son, to say, Mary, no, actually, you're not king, Mary. She didn't understand. She still struggled to to really live the life that she should have her whole life. I mean, she's like any of us. Mary failed. Mary struggled. Mary didn't get it. Mary called Jesus Christ insane. But she was still struggling to really see what the point was. And so it's the same with us. It's the same struggle. Tim Keller says, uh, true peace comes after the inner conflict of repentance. And that's what all this is. It's repentance. Repentance is a 180 degree shift. It's a change of mindset. Repentance is, I no longer want to live for myself. I want to face the other way and start living for Jesus. Does it mean I'm perfect? No. Does it mean I'm going to make mistakes? 
Yeah, it does. But here's the thing is I'm no longer going to make decisions for myself. I'm not going to date whoever I want because I want to. I'm not going to sleep however long I want to sleep because I want to. I'm not going to take whatever job I want because I want that job because it makes the most money or I'm most comfortable. I'm not going to do this and that. Everything you did, even if it was for me, I, was, I went to church, but only because I wanted to. I did things for God, but only if I wanted to do them. I obeyed scripture as long as I agreed with it. I, was, I hadn't repented. I was still king. I just dressed it up in some religious adornment. And so repentance is that inner conflict. And this is the great difficulty with coming to Christ. It's the great difficulty with staying in Christ is letting, uh, letting our mindset stay. I'm going to do what's best for God. And that is a tough one. I blocked it out. You can kind of see that block there because Keller clarifies what he means. And I think it's like dramatic if I block it out and I remove the block. You're like, what is it? But he clarifies what he means. And it's a word that we don't like, but I think it is in its essence, the struggle that we all have to really come to Christ unconditionally. And it's submission. Oh, that's a bad word for Americans. No way. Are we, we're free and wild and independent and unfettered. And, you know, you can't break me. You know, I'm, you know it's, we, don't, we don't like that word. But that's the thing is we got to recognize the true king and submit to him. You know, Jesus says a, a parable, right? If there's two kings going to war and one knows he's going to lose, he's going to send a delegation and say, hey, is it okay if we actually uh, uh, um, surrender? Because you're going to destroy us. And instead of my men losing their lives, instead of my people becoming slaves, I can recognize that you are the true king. We want to submit. We want to actually give up. No one likes to hear a lesson like that. We want to hear, no, never give up, never surrender, fight. We're going to win. We're the best USA. We're going to get them. We're, we're awesome. We deserve it. We're the smartest, best, strongest. Best. You know, but Jesus, Jesus came not in a palace. Jesus didn't, well, he wasn't born in Rome in a house of marble. He was born in backwater Israel to a woman who was a young teenage woman who would have been seen as sexually inappropriate who would have been made fun of her entire life. And malign, Jesus would have been called words you don't want to think about. Yeah. Simply, but Jesus chose it. He chose, he chose humility. And that's what's inspiring to us this morning. When you think, I can't do that, Drew. I, I can't allow Jesus to be king. What if it doesn't work out? What if I'm not accepted? What if I'm not happy? What if I'm single? What if I don't make money? What if... What if I can't do what I want to do? What if I can't? Will I be okay? And one of the things that's beautiful to think about is we we think about a sword, a a sword in the soul for us. We think about being pierced. You know, we have to, what helps us is we have to remember who was pierced first. Isaiah says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. That he would go, you know, in the Old Testament, when you sinned, an animal had to go under the sword. Jesus said, no, no longer. I'm going to go under the sword for you. And when Jesus came, every step of his life was selfless. It was for you. And that's inspiring. Because if anybody didn't get what they ever wanted, it was Jesus. If anyone knew that if they obeyed, they wouldn't actually get accepted. We all obey and we get accepted. Jesus knew if he obeyed, he would be rejected. But imagine everybody in this room this morning, I think feels some piece of that because Jesus submitted to God and he said, not as I will, but as you will, your will be done. I will go to the cross, even though Jesus didn't want to, even though Jesus went to the cross because he did that. 
How many of us get to experience so much joy, so much peace, freedom from addiction for a lot of us, freedom from idols, freedom from pain, freedom from struggle, simply because he did it. And so I want to encourage us this morning, if you're struggling with this, if you're still not, not willing to give the keys up, it's because you've made yourself king, you've made yourself queen, you've made yourself, and you're not willing to let go. Look at him in the garden. Look at Jesus in the manger. Look at his whole entire life. He's the only founder of a religion who never wrote anything down. He's the only founder of a religion who said, don't, don't do these things and then I'll accept you. I accept you first. He's the only founder of a religion who died such an incredible death that hundreds of normal folks would die for him. Jesus wasn't Muhammad. He didn't kill thousands of people. He didn't take Mecca by force. He wasn't Joseph Smith, who was shot in the back trying to escape Carthage prison. He wasn't one of these guys. Jesus accepted, he entrusted himself to one who judges justly. And more pens have been set in motion, more lives have been changed in the history of time by one person because he submitted. And he did it because he loved you. So as we go to the cross this morning, let's think about Jesus, let's remember him, and let's give up the keys, and let's start talking about what it means to allow him to be the true king. Let's bow our heads and say a prayer. We'll pass the trays for benevolence, uh, and then we'll go from there. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father God, we're grateful for this morning. We want to pray first and foremost and thank you, God, that we have a holiday, that we get off work just so that we can celebrate what you've done. Uh, God, I pray that all of us, God, if there's any pride or arrogance in our lives, that we can see it but that we don't allow it to cause us to be guilty or have self-pity. But I pray that we can see it, God, and just know how much grace you have and know how much you really love us. We pray for, the, we pray for how many awesome kids this church has, God, that we get to watch them come up and, and uh, re- recap, God, the, the greatest day, uh, God, that we have such awesome children. God, we're grateful for each and every one of them, uh, God, and we're just grateful for the family you give us here. We love you. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.